Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 21, Am I My Brother's Keeper? And in this episode, we're going to take a look at life outside of the garden in Genesis chapter 4, paying particular attention to now that the first man and first woman have been removed from God's presence, what that means for the way that lives are lived. And we're going to take a close look at sin we're going to recognize some of the ramifications that sin has in terms of decreation and what that means for man's relationship with God and man's relationship with one another. And so I'm excited for this episode. Let's get right into it. To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Genesis 4, 1 through 16. And then I'd like to make some observations about it. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And we'll just stop right there for this week's reading of Genesis 4. Okay, and so this is the very first passage that we come to after Adam and Eve have been removed from the garden. And so what we're dealing with here is now two of their children and their dealings with one another. And I think there are so many things that I would really like to point out in this podcast, but I'm definitely committed to keeping it to around 30 minutes. And so I will skip some things that I think might be necessary to talk about, but not absolutely crucial for the purposes of this episode. But I do want to point out that it's interesting here that the, the, the sinful situation that transpires this murder of one brother to another, um, it takes place in the context of worship um, of the Lord. It takes place in the context of 
offering acceptable or non-acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And this, I think, is really, really helpful, especially as the Bible gets um, pick starts to pick up steam and begins to move us in a positive direction, is to recognize that when sin first entered the world in Genesis 3, it did so in a good garden with a man and a woman in perfect innocence and harmony in marriage in the presence of the Lord God himself who walked in that garden in the cool of the day. And it was in that good context where sin first reared its ugly head and destroyed all of those intimate relationships. And you only turn the page once to chapter 4 and you find that it is now in an act of worshiping the Lord God, offering him sacrifices, offering him the fruit of the ground or offering him something from the flock, the firstborn of the flock that you tend to. It is in the worshiping of the Lord context where the first murder recorded in scripture actually takes place. And the reason why I bring this up is because so much of the difficulty surrounding an interpretation of the Bible is to think that there are kind of God-word or God-focused lives and activities, and then there are those of, of pagans and those who are outcasts who do their own thing, who disregard God entirely. But the Bible does not talk that way. The Bible looks most likely or, or most prominently at human nature and wants to draw our attention to the things that human beings are tempted to do as a result of sin and their, their, their choices in this world. And they can manifest themselves in both religious and in non-religious ways. And so I think that's incredibly crucial to grasp at the beginning is that that's exactly what's happening here with Cain and with, with Abel. But I want to draw your attention, and I have a Bible in front of me, so I'll simply reference verse numbers as I do this. But um, when, when Abel rec- or Cain recognizes, rather, that Abel's offering is accepted before the Lord and Cain's is not, it says that he um, became very angry and his face fell. So his countenance changes. Um, he no longer has a pleasant look about him. Um, you've seen this look. It's a look of dejection. It's a look of envy. It's a look of jealousy. It's a look of bitterness. It's a look of, um, I want to remove this state of circumstances from my life as quickly as possible. And right here, as soon as his face falls, the Lord comes to him and says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, this is one of the most insightful things that you're going to find in Genesis 4. And that is that right here in verse 7, something called sin has now entered the biblical narrative as an actual character in the story. And I want you to let that sit in your mind for just a moment. Do not miss this. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, it's very interesting that this is not the first time the phrase, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, has shown up in the book of Genesis. 
In fact, if you back up just one chapter to Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord God is talking to the woman after the transgression that she committed, here is what he says to her. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The words chosen to speak to Cain about the issue that sin as a character in the story now has a desire for Cain, but Cain must rule over it. The wording is identical to this cursing that the Lord um, spoke over the first woman. In that explanation, what he is saying to Eve is, your desire shall be for your husband. You will want to rule over Adam, but Adam will rule over you. God is not giving a commandment in Genesis 3.16 to the woman. He's not giving a commandment to the men that the men are to rule over the women. He is explaining the kinds of things that are going to happen as a result of man and woman choosing their own definitions of good and evil. Women now are going to want to rule over men, but men are going to end up ruling over the women. Now take that exact concept and think about what the Lord is saying to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He is laying out the exact same type of scenario that he did to the woman in offering her the curse in Genesis 3, but he's doing so with an imperative for Cain. You have a principle at work, Cain. It's called sin. It is something that will very actively play on your weakness and your brokenness to such an extent that it will seek to dominate you it will seek to control you. It will seek to rule you. And if you do not, with everything in you, seek to rule over it, you will fall victim and fall prey to whatever this new character in the story desires for you to do. It is not coincidental that in the New Testament, in the book of First Peter, Peter says this to his elect exiles of the dispersion. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin is crouching at the door. Now, Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but if you have ever noticed the way lions seek someone to devour, it is in a low-lying, crouching position, waiting for prey that is unsuspecting of his presence, just happens to come sauntering into the vicinity, and before that prey knows it, the lion has pounced, and he begins to devour the prey. This is the picture that is now presented here before us in the story of Cain and Abel. Sin is introduced as a character in the story. It's spoken about as something that is crouching with a desire that is contrary or against Cain and subsequently a desire that is against all of us.
And we all know this instinctively. We are naturally drawn to doing things that do not serve our best interests, that do not serve the best interests of others, that do not cause our creation to flourish, that do not bring glory and honor to God. It is the principle of sin which is actively at work both within our hearts and outside of them. And the Bible does not play in either or game with us. It does not say either you chose to sin because you're a sinful person or it doesn't say the devil made me do it. The Bible does a masterful job of saying that it is both this principle of sin at work outside of us, as well as working with and preying on those desires we now have deeply rooted within our own hearts that really do believe that the things we say are good are really good, and the things we say are evil are really evil. But the Lord knows, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Will this offering that you've presented to me not be accepted? And I don't want anyone to get hung up on the fact that because Abel offered an animal as a sacrifice and Cain only offered crops, that therefore Abel's was better because it was a, a, a blood sacrifice. Um, I know why people are tempted to make that conclusion, but um, you really can't do that. And that's because in the book of Leviticus, for example, grain offerings, peace offerings, offerings of your crops were just as legitimate as animal sacrifices. So both Cain and Abel are offering something to the Lord. Um, If you notice, Cain is a worker of the ground, but Abel um, is a keeper of the sheep. And so they simply bring to the Lord a reflection of the types of things that they were in charge of, the types of things that they were responsible for producing. And they gave to the Lord some of those things. Um, You'd need the book of Hebrews to simply remind us in Hebrews 11 that the reason Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted was because Abel brought his offering by faith. So he presented his offering with the right spirit, with the right attitude, giving God what he believed that the Lord deserved, quite possibly not maybe the way Cain does, where he's giving the Lord something that he hopes will be able to give him something in return. And it very well may be that attitude, I don't know, but something within Cain gets extremely angry. Interestingly enough, not angry at God for not accepting his offering and not getting angry at himself for not offering his offering in the right way But the sin crouching at the door has Cain fully convinced that the person responsible for this failed accepted offering is his brother. The one whose offering was accepted. And what you see right here is the way a crouching character of sin begins to work. It's the same thing that his parents dealt with in the garden in Genesis 3. It certainly couldn't be my fault. There certainly couldn't be something about this situation that I have miscalculated or that I am to blame for or that I didn't offer in the right way. It must be if someone else around me is accepted at the same time that I am not then the way to remedy this problem is not to fix my approach. The way to remedy the problem is to remove the person whose presence 
or whose offering was actually accepted. And this is precisely what Cain does. What Cain decides to do is decides that of all the people, God not accepting his offering, himself not offering the correct offering or offering it in the right way, or his brother offering a, a, a sacrifice better than the one Cain offers, of all those options, his brother must be at fault. His brother must be the reason why he's so angry. And notice that his anger is directed entirely toward his brother. In Cain's mind now, it is a good thing to remove from the scene the one who is accepted when you aren't. And this is a pattern that you're going to continue to notice. It's a comparison game. It's a jealousy game. It's an envy game. And if you want to know why things like that exist in the world, it is because sin has now entered as a character in the story. And it will not leave. It will be a thorn in people's sides. It will be something that is constantly seeking to rule over us but the, the command, the exhortation is that we, Cain, and now we, would seek to rule over it. How that's going to work, whether that will work, whether people will even want that to work, those are all great questions and we will get to them in time. But as this story unfolds, it says that while Cain and Abel were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And then the Lord comes to Cain. So... He comes to Cain. He's going to ask questions just like he does to the first man and the first woman. He wants them to own up to what they've done. He, he gives them an opportunity to express to him what it is that they've done. And again, sin is a character in the story, has now been, has, has decided to take over Cain, has, is ruling over Cain. And now the answer that Cain gives to a very simple question is one that is once again, um, shirking responsibility. And so here's what the Lord says. Where is Abel, your brother? It's a super simple question. Where is he? He's not with you, Cain. He was just here. You both were here offering your sacrifices. Where is Abel? Now, Cain could have said, well, he's over there, which would have been a lie. What does he say? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, what's fascinating is that Cain's question is actually something that we have an answer to. And we have an answer to it because in Genesis 2.15, we were told that man was placed in the garden to work it and to keep it. And we actually had an entire episode about this on the podcast already called Work It and Keep It. And the point of that was simply this, that man was put in the world to work the ground, to cause it to flourish, to cause it to grow, to cause it to expand to um, strengthen the, 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 the resources that were already present in the garden to cause God's good world to flourish. But we also said that his role of keeping it was to guard, protect, honor, respect the type of scenario that was present in the garden and to prevent any outside influence from coming in and wrecking what was embedded and placed within God's good creation. And so I want you to hear Cain's statement again, his question to God again when he says, 
where is Abel your brother? Cain says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility, God, to know where Abel is? Is he my responsibility? Now, the sad reality is from Genesis 2, now just two chapters later to Genesis 4, the original answer to that question was a resounding yes. You are or you were intended to be your brother's keeper. That was one of your original commissions regarding what it meant to be an image bearer of God living as a human being in the world. You are to work the ground and to keep it. And of course, Cain and Abel both are described with these same two verbs. We're told that Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And I'm not going to make too much of an issue of that except to point out that both of those attributes are present, but it apparently appears as if Cain is saying, I'm just a worker of the ground. I am not here to preserve or to keep the things that don't line up with what I'm doing. And unfortunately, you see a tremendous tragedy. You see Cain now deciding it is not my responsibility to guard or to protect anything other than me. And we've already seen this now with the principle of sin at work. We see these reversals of these initial creation relationships between man and God, between man and the creation, between man and man, and between with man with, within himself. And now sin has convinced Cain as it is now ruling over him that his number one priority needs to be on himself. And so what does he do? He throws back in God's face the outrageous idea that God would have the audacity to expect Cain to be a keeper of his brother? What is God thinking? Well, God doesn't have to think much. He simply has to tell Cain what his actions have now caused. Here's what the Lord says. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now I want you to hear what it is that the Lord says to Cain here. It says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Okay, Cain, you will not be a keeper of your brother. You will not voice his defense. You will not speak up and share with me that an injustice has been done to one of my image-bearing human beings? Well, then the ground will do it, Cain. The ground itself, the creation that I put in place for you to work, since you've chosen not to be the one to voice this concern to me, the ground will do it. It will cry out for your brother's blood to find redemption, to find release. And because you've allowed the ground, which is supposed to be under your control and under your rule, you've um, you, you have rejected that responsibility. Abdicated. That's the word I was looking for. Because you have abdicated your responsibility. Now the ground that was once going to yield its strength to you will no longer do it. Why, Cain? Because you have taken every relationship that you were supposed to have with my good world and you have turned it on its head. And so now 
the ground which you were to rule over is now going to rule over you and it is not going to yield to you its strength. You are going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You will not know your place. You will not have a place. All of the toil you put forth will not bring the blessing you wished it would because you chose through the influence of this character named sin, you chose to take matters into your own hands to resolve a dysfunctional worship relationship by killing the very one whose relationship was accepted in order to protect yourself. And so here are Cain's words. They're, they're so sad and yet they're so fitting. He says to the Lord, uh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now we know that he's a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth because God told him that that was going to happen to him. And he says, I've been driven from the, from away from the ground, from your face, I shall be hidden. So now Cain is aware of the fact that now not having the ground to serve at his disposal is a horrific thing. He's being turned away from the face of the Lord or the face of the Lord is turned away from him. He doesn't like either one of those options. He knows it's going to lead him to be a fugitive and a wanderer. And he is devastated under the reality that his punishment is too great for him to bear because anyone who finds him in this now fugitive and wandering state will kill him. And as you're reading this narrative, I want you to think through in your mind, what is it in this moment that Cain deserves? Cain has just chosen to end the life of his brother for no offense on Abel's part against Cain. Abel not only was innocent as it related to Cain, but Abel was righteous as he was related to God. Abel is standing here doing what is good and right and acceptable and pleasing to God. And because he did that, this unacceptable brother who was not doing what was right by faith kills the one who was. It's a disregard for life. It's a misunderstanding of what worship before the Lord actually means. It's a total failure to grasp what worship and offering sacrifices by faith actually entails. And now Abel is no longer here. Cain still is. And his punishment, his fear of being killed by someone else is too great for him to bear. Of course it is, Cain. And yet, what do you expect? Do you expect that God is going to come in and save you when he didn't even save your brother from you? Cain, what do you expect will happen? You just murdered someone else. What you deserve is is to be killed. And this is a second reason why when my friend asks me, why is the God of the Old Testament so mean and Jesus is so nice, my first passage to go to is the end of Genesis 3 
where God tells Adam and Eve, I do not want you to eat of the tree of life and live forever in your now fallen state. So I am going to remove you from the potential for that so that you will not live forever in that way. The second passage that I go to to defend why the God of the Old Testament is not mean and Jesus is not just the opposite of that or i.e. nice is this passage right here. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Now, wait a minute. We have a God who recognizes that injustice has happened to the point that the ground is crying out for Abel's blood to be um, redeemed, for Abel's life to be redeemed, since Cain wasn't the one to voice that concern. Cain has not chosen to rule over the character known as sin, but has allowed sin to rule over him. He has murdered in cold blood one of God's righteous, blameless, upright worshipers. And when Cain fearfully expresses his, you know, his hatred of the idea that now anybody who finds him is going to kill him and that this seems to be too great of a punishment to bear, the Lord himself steps in and puts a mark on Cain. We don't know what the mark is, and it it doesn't really matter at this point in the narrative. But he puts a mark on Cain for the sole purpose of protecting his life. Because you see, what you have now when you introduce sin as a character in the story is you have something now that the Lord God desires to strip away from man without having to destroy man in the process. This is an abundantly crucial point to grasp. If sin is a character in the story and sin through the devil and through human decisions of good and evil and rewriting what those things actually mean, but as sin finds itself as a character in the story, it now attaches itself to human beings leading them, deceiving them, tempting them, baiting them to rule the world in a way that the Lord God would not rule it himself. But the Lord God loves his creatures and does not wish for them to suffer unjustly. He wants to find a way to remove the sin, to deal with the sin, to destroy the principle and the character of sin without having to destroy the people caught in its grasp. That's the issue. And so the Lord God offers to Cain tremendous mercy. Whoever finds me will kill me, and the Lord says, not so. It will not be this way. I will protect you. I will honor you. I, but, I, but you do need to realize you are going to be alone. This is the path that you have chosen, and it's going to result in total isolation. The passage that I read ends this way. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, he already began this narrative east of Eden because that's where his parents were sent. And now verse 16 tells us that Cain has in fact gone farther east. 
He's both east, which is away from the Garden State, which was planted in the east, but he is now going farther east, but he is going away from the presence of the Lord. From your face I shall be hidden. This is why as you get on through the biblical story, you'll come to places where in Numbers chapter 6, for instance, it will say these great passages of the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We live in a fallen world where very often those that are were, were, were created originally to keep us, to be our keepers, to look after us, do not do a great job of this. And so recognizing that the Lord is the one who does, who chooses to turn his face toward his creatures in his own mercy is going to be something that we have to figure out how that happens. And this is ultimately what Jesus represents as the great shepherd, the keeper of the sheep. Those who look after the straying and the wandering and the lost and the directionless and brings them back into his fold where he can protect them he can keep them and the Lord's face in Jesus can shine upon them and be gracious to them. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. I would like to thank those of you who continually give me feedback. For Thank you those who are supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. And if you would like to do that, you can follow a link in the show notes that'll tell you just how to make that happen. I would also like to encourage you and, and ask that any of you who are finding this podcast helpful would leave a review or a rating or both uh, on the particular podcast that you listen in on as it will help others find the podcast as well. And thank you for those who simply share this with your friends or with your family or church members or others. It really helps to spread the word and let others be encouraged by what we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you all have a great week. See you next time.